Today we're going to be looking at speaking the truth in love. Uh, this is a sermon, uh, a possible sermon series. If I come back again, we'll continue this. Uh, this is a section uh, in Ephesians 4. It's called the putting off and putting on section. It's a, about it's a structured that way. It's a whole list of things that we are to stop doing and replace with with proper behavior in Christ. But it's grounded not in just behavior, it's in who we are. So um, we're going to look at the first of those, which is speaking the truth, speak truth to each other. Uh, and we're going to look, though, today we're going to read the entire section, beginning with uh, verse uh, 11. So let's stand for the hearing of God's word in Ephesians 4, uh, 11 through 26. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given, them, give themselves, given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirits of your mind, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each, of you, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you that we are privileged to come and hear from your word, to uh, hear of the truth of Jesus Christ, and to, to share this truth with one another. May the words of my mouth and meditation of all our, our hearts here together be honored and uh, accepted in your sight in and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So a year ago, 
Uh, I was kind of in a similar situation as Carl. I was selling my mom's house. She uh, hasn't, she hasn't died. She's still alive. She's 92. And we're taking care of her. But we were in the process of selling her house in Hemet uh, to move in with us in La Mirada. And she, um, oh, so my brother and I were getting the house ready to sell, and uh, we took on a task we had not done, which we should have done years ago. Uh, my father had a workshop. My father died in 06. Uh, when I was in Florida, uh, came back in 2008, and all that time, my mom had kept saying, clean out your dad's workshop. There's probably tools and stuff that you want. Um, there's you know probably paperwork and stuff that for the house that you ought to go through. And it was, it was kind of painful to do that. It was just like, it was too, nah, not yet. There's, there's gonna be time. So finally, we just forgot about it. And so we were going through some of the old paperwork and pulling open some old file drawers. And in there, we found some pictures that um, had escaped my sister. My sister is kind of the family uh, uh, librarian. Uh, she's the historian. She's collected all the pictures. And there's some, some we had never seen. It was my father in the 60s uh, at work. It was a dedication for a building. He was uh, in hospital administration. It was uh, 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 for a new tower they'd done at Sentinella Hospital in, in, in Inglewood. And it looked like a a still shot of the movie, I mean, of the television series Mad Men. You know, the, 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 the real thin, I mean, the, the, the narrow uh, uh, lapels, uh, the su everybody was in suits, dark suits, uh, real thin ties, narrow lapels, real trim suits, and, and everybody was carrying cigarettes. It, it was just amazing. And, and it, we, my brother and I were, laughed at that because all we remembered from my dad, because we were, we were young kids at that time when he was doing that, um, we remembered uh, from the 70s where the leisure suits had come in. And of course, that we, we just yeah. mocked our dad for those yeah. until we started wearing leisure suits. And now <laughs> my kids see those pictures and mock me. I get it. Um, but one of the things we, we kind of reminisced upon was that all of a sudden that picture made sense of some things in our lives in, when we were younger. We, our kids grew up wearing pretty much anything they wanted, ragtag clothes, um, except church early on, especially in the South when we lived out there, you, you, that's the one time you didn't wear ragtag clothes. You, know, you wore your, your Sunday best. But growing up, it seems like we, every picture of us, we're always in our best. And, and I remembered one time, kind of rebelling against that, we would always go out once a week to dinner, a family dinner, and our favorite place was the smorgasbord. It didn't matter what smorgasbord it was. Um, it was Sir George's smorgasbord is the one I remember. If you, you guys remember that one. And I remember we would go there and there'd be other kids and they'd be dressed in shorts and, and we call them go-aheads, but flip-flops, you know. And I think it was because you would go ahead and leave those behind if you tripped out of them. Uh, I had no idea. Uh, but I remember one time said, all right, I'm just gonna dress that way. And I showed up. And I think several of my other uh, siblings showed up uh, dressed the way we wanted to go. And of course my mother is, what are you doing? Take those off, put better clothes on. And it was, you know, says, mom, mom's practical. She's just gonna, you know, this is not what, this, no. And so I said, but, but why? All the other kids dress this way. And my dad said something. He, this is all he said. He says, that's not who we are. That was enough. That's not who we are. In fact, I mean, so, so it made sense looking at that picture. That's not who we were. But I remember 
another situation. Actually, I'd forgotten about that and, and going over this passage. And I remembered another situation where that was his response. It was a time where um, I, had, I had done something and lied about it. And I, all right, I was a kid. You, that's what you do, right? You lie to me. You, you don't, you, my dad was a strict disciplinarian. And, and, and you learned early on that the, the belt was going to come out if you did something wrong. And I don't know if you guys used the belt. I, was, I was loath to use the belt because I lived, I grew up on the belt. Have you ever heard that old Bill Cosby routine about the belt? That was our life. That was my, me. You just, all I had to say was, I'm going to get the belt. Or he would start unbuckling. It's like, oh boy. I'm, you know. But there was a time I, I did something that was kind of egregious. And, and up to this point, if I had lied and got caught, I would get the belt. I mean, and so I, was, I had learned how to do flips from a friend. Um, he had a mattress at his house, and, and, and he taught me how to do flips. It was young at the time. And so I was back home practicing my flips, and I was doing my flips on my, my bed mattress. And I, I guess I was taller than I realized, and I flipped, and my foot went all the way over and whack into the wall and put a big dent in the wall, hole in the wall. You couldn't, you couldn't hide. I tried piling my, my pillows up and everything. I tried to hide. But my dad one time saw that is who did that? I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know. And he says, really? And he, and he says, you didn't do it? I said, nope. Nope. Not me, because I felt like I was going to get the belt. Figured at this point it was better to lie than, than, than get the belt. I know at this point now, my dad knew I did it. He just kind of gave a disapproving look and he just, okay, I believe you. Well, that hurt. That probably hurt worse than anything else. I'm learning at this point what, what deception is and, and the consequence of deception and, and the look on him. And, and it took a few days, but I finally went back to him because it was eating me up. And I, I said, I said, Dad, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I did it. And he goes, I know. And I, I said, well, why didn't you confront me on that? And he says, because it's, you kind of need to learn this lesson yourself. And he's, I just want you to always remember, lying is not who we are. And that stuck with me. That's, that's, in fact, if I think about lying now, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I do not like lying. I, I go out of my way not to lie. I almost go out of my way to be too frank. If, they, if I have a fault, <laughs> just a joke. I, we all have faults. But if my, a major fault is I'm, I'm way too frank with people. I'm too willing to tell them what I think is the truth. Uh, and uh, and uh, I, I think it goes back to, to that moment that I began to understand lying is not in my identity. I hate it when people lie to me. I hate it more when they don't believe me. When somebody says, I'm sorry, I don't believe you. That's devastating to me because it's, it goes to my integrity. And I, I think I go back to my father saying that to me. That's the approach we're to have when we sin, when we lie. This passage is about lying, but really this is about, about all of life, right? About every part of our integrity. Because it begins with, with being truthful. It goes back to who we are. That's what Paul is saying in here. He says, lying is not who you are. Stealing is not who you are. Anger is not who you are. 
uh, sexual immorality is not who you are. It's what you do, but it's not who you are. Who you are is different in Christ. And he makes this great contrast between the world of which we were and the family of Christ in, 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 in who we are now. And, and when he looks at the, the passage, when we look at, at this putting off and putting on, by the way, it's, that's, you, you see that in verse 22. I'm kind of coming back and forth a little bit. Um, this, whole, this whole section is, strained, uh, is arranged uh, around this verse 22. To, you, you ta- you're taught, it, back up to 20. That is not the way you learn Christ, assuming you have heard about him or taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So you are taught to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and corrupt through its deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's putting off and putting on. We would tell our kids, my mom would, say, would have said, take that off and put those on. The colloquialism for Paul was putting off and putting on. And it's it's more of a, I think I think it's purposeful. It's, it's, it's not... My mom told us to take off something that belonged to me and put on something more appropriate. Paul is taking us, t- taking us, Paul is telling us to put off something that doesn't belong to us and take something and put it on that actually does belong to us. It's, it's the righteousness of Christ. It's the person of Christ we're to put on. And we're to put off the people that we were, the things that we were, the, the attitudes that we were, that still creep up. We're still sinful human beings. That's that dual nature that we fight with. We're 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 in the process, right, of being sanctified. We are we are justified, sanctified, and glorified. Justi- or sanctification is the outworking of our justification. Glorification is the final outworking of our justification. What is justification? It's we are we've. We are, our sin has been taken off of us by God and, and put onto us, into us, the righteousness of Christ. You may have heard that the old adage, the, the meaning of justification, just as if I'd never sinned, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. No. Yes and no. That's only the first half of it. If you start there, just as if I'd never sinned, you're back to zero. You're back to, okay, yeah, I had this huge debt, but it's been paid for. But now what? I'm, I'm, still, I'm still nothing. It's not enough to be back to where Adam and Eve were. That's what, just, that's what to, to have your sin forgiven. Yes, you're, you're more like Adam and Eve. You're now back to the Garden of Eden. You're neutral. But that wasn't what they were called to do. They were called to express righteousness to live righteous lives, to build for God's kingdom, to, to work out God's kingdom, to, to worship him, to bring the fruits, the first fruits of, uh, uh, the first of their fruits of their crops and of their animals in, 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 in offering to him. They were to be active in doing things for the Lord and in, in so proving to be children of God, to emulate him, to, be in, to show that they're in him as image. And they fell short, and that's what happened: is they they lost the image of God, who got damaged in them. There's the, some of it remained, as Paul says, um, uh, there, or James says, we're still in the all in the image of God. We we are we are moral creatures. Uh, we know right and wrong. Uh, we 
um, uh, are obligated to, to do good for people, those kind of things, but we lost the capability to do what is truly right in God's eyes. And we needed that restored. And that's what the righteousness of Christ, the second half of justification, does for us. It gives us the, the worth of Jesus Christ, but not only that, it gives us the character of Jesus Christ. Because we can't have the worth of Jesus Christ without the person of Jesus Christ. We can't have the person of Jesus Christ without the character of Christ in us. And that's what Paul is calling us to do in this passage. And to put off the old nature and put on. He's calling us to be something that we're, we're different. There's an old adage um, that uh, J. Uh, uh, Adams likes to use when talking about this passage. It's a, a little uh, children's riddle. Uh, when is a door not a door? Anybody know that? When is a door not a door? When it is a jar. Right? When, right? When, when, it, when is a liar not a liar? When he's telling the truth. That it's a little bit pretty obvious in um, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to give to share with anyone in need. When is the thief not a thief? When he's working, giving. When he's a giver. So when we look at this idea of lying or deception or dishonesty or not being frank with each other when we should, we're looking at it as not just stop doing that, but what do we do in its place? So that's what we're looking at. That I can stop the sermon right here. You, you get it, right? But now we maybe flush this out a little bit. Um, Paul begins with the idea of putting off something. Because therefore, having put away falsehood. But he couches it in, in, in terms he reminds us, at the right end of that little passage, he reminds us that false, where falsehood comes from. Um, that, that, that section there is, is, talks about being angry and do not sin, let, do not let the sun go down in your anger is really still dealing with this whole idea of, of honesty. It's, it's, okay, you're not supposed to lie, but let's, be, let's not be, go overboard with your honesty, in a sense. You know? you know, anger, anger just because you're angry doesn't mean you need to address it right now. Um, but it, it might mean you need to. It's just, you know, you just, it's, it, your, your reaction to a lie shouldn't be just anger. Reaction to sin shouldn't just be anger. You need to deal with it properly. And he says something interesting. Give no opportunity to the devil. And that really is a summary of, I mean, applied to all these things, especially lying. Because when we lie, when we sin at any time, we're giving an opportunity to the devil. Lying gives an opportunity to the devil to destroy. Jesus says in John 8, talking to the uh, Pharisees and those who didn't believe in him that were, they were going to be killing him in, in not too near future. Uh, and he knows this. But he's confronting them with the truth. And he, he says this. They, they, they claim to be children of God. And he says this, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I'm here. I am not, came not of my own accord but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of the father, your devil. I'm sorry, the father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He is a liar and the father of lies. Lying and destruction go hand in hand. 
That's why lying is so devastating to the, to the family of God, to the people of God. That's why I believe Paul starts here with falsehood. No longer, he says, put off falsehood and let you speak the truth to his neighbor. And in our parallel passage we read earlier uh, in Colossians in our um, confession of sin time, the hearing of God's law, uh, he, he actually ends that section with, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Lying is just devastating to the family of God. It, 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 because it, it kills relationships. When we aren't honest with each other, and whether it's husbands or wives or, or families, uh, children to adults or adults to children, brothers and sisters in Christ, holding things back that need to be said, lying to one another, not believing one another, that wrecks relationships. And you can see that at the very beginning of, of, of human history with Adam and Eve. Satan comes in and lies presents a lie to Adam and Eve they believe the lie and it, and, and it kills them it kills them spiritually he knew what he was doing you know, getting them to believe a lie brought about destruction and then it just snowballs from there they lie to God at that point instead of, of being confronted by God when God calls for Adam in the Garden of Eden when, when that great, great scene where the I know it's not often presented this way, but it really is a great scene of the, the, the Shekinah glory, God in his presence coming down, thundering into the, the Garden of Eden, saying, saying, Adam, where are you? He's calling him to the judgment bar. He's calling them to calling Adam to the to the to the um, the court to, to to hold account for for not guarding the garden like he was called to guard. He was called to shamar, the Hebrew word shamar, guard the garden. We talked about this before. At the end of that scene, God places another guardian there, the guardian angel, who's got a sword and he shamars. He guards the way to the God, the the, the tree of life. He, he Adam Adam lies. He hides. He didn't lie verbally right away, but he hid. It was deception. He was he's proving to be a, a child of the devil. And then he obfuscates, right? He does the the pointing, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was, he, he blames God, he blames Eve. He, he, he says, the, the woman you gave me, he says, the woman you gave me, she. So, you know, the arms are going out in every which direction. You, you know, uh, you gave her to me, I was fine. I was fine until you gave her to me. Is it what, the in, in, inclination there, in, implication? The woman, she was the first. Yeah, it was her fault. I'm just following suit, knowing that he was supposed to be the one to, to. Oh, all right, I'll ask a question. I was going to do this, and I'm probably shooting all my time here. This is, like Sam said, a freebie, right? Last week, you get a freebie. Well, he's got to throw a freebie in here. Eve sinned. Adam had not sinned at that point. Eve believed the lie. She ate of the and, and she ate of the the apple or the fruit. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. But it was a, it was a we, so, so let's say it was the apple, but it was of the tree. The, the important thing wasn't the fruit; it was the tree. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was the sacramental tree in the in the middle of the garden. It was the reward tree, if you want to put it that way. It was the the tree that would have once when the when the time was right, when they had actually done what God had asked them to do and confirmed to God that they were His children, 
made in his own image, by, by working that out in their lives, by proving it out in their lives, at some point they would have been confirmed in, the, in their righteousness and goodness and, and they would have been able to eat of the tree of life and that would have allowed them to live forever in a state of sinlessness. Okay, got that scene? That we, we, how do we know that? The tree of life and in in, in, where does the tree of life show up again? Revelation. Revelation. How many trees? How many? How many kinds of the tree of life are there? Twelve. Twelve. Twelve kinds of tree of life. It's multiplied. It's and it's there. It's it represents life with God, eternal life with God, with the twelve apostles, the twelve, the twelve tribes of Israel. Um, so it's 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 kind of both, right? It's it's the the people of God living with Him. So Eve. So so Eve has taken of this. And and eaten of this, and now she's she's confirmed in. She's confirmed in her sin, and she's going to live forever in her sin. But she's not going to live forever. She's going to. Well, death is a blessing in that respect. Yeah. Right. Death becomes a curse and a blessing. Because that's why they weren't allowed to come back anymore to eat of that that tree, because God said, lest they come back, and eat of the tree, and or He says, lest they come back and live forever. And then he kind of cuts off. And that's where he puts, he casts them out, and puts the 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 the, uh, the uh, cherub, the cherub, the guardian angel, there to guard the way to what, the tree of life. So they could not live forever. Death needed to happen. If if mankind was to live forever, we would not have a savior who had died. So that it had to happen. It's a blessing curse. So anyway, back to my question: If Adam. Uh, Eve had, had sinned, offers the, the apple to Adam. What should he have done? Adam was the guard of the garden. He was responsible. She is deserving of death. What should Adam have done? Uh, I know you don't want to answer because, you know. Okay, I did this in a Sunday school class one time, and, and one guy in the back, he says, he says, he should have killed her. <laughs> he, was God's, he was God's sword of judgment. He was the one who's supposed to guard the garden. I have, well, it's no surprise that that <laughs> there were problems in that marriage, um, and, and you could see why. Uh, <laughs> like, in, my, in fact, my, I, I wasn't lo- I wasn't at the church very long when I had raised that. I was an assistant pastor, and I, I raised that question, and I, I go, "I bet your life isn't, or your wife isn't a happy camper," and that's exactly what happened. But anyway, I said, "Okay." Well, he shouldn't have lied. He should have told the truth. He should have told the truth. Should have told the truth to who? God. God, right. God. Interceded right. For he should have interceded for her. Yeah. He, sh- the first Adam, should have done what the second Adam came to do. He should have laid down his life for her. So that I will take the punishment. But he doesn't. He, this is the first occurrence of the bust in Scripture, I think, because he throws her under one. Right? It's her fault. He doesn't get away with it. Lying destroyed his relationship with God, his relationship with her. God, in his grace, heals these things again together. But do you see how devastating that is? Lying destroys things. I threw throw some other things in there. Um, uh, Cain and Abel. Cain, Cain begins with a lie. His murder is, is incidental to the lie. It's not, it's, it's not an, you know, an insignificant thing. Murder is a horrible thing. But it begins with a lie. And what was the lie? 
he offers not the best of his fruits, or it was, it was, it was I'm sorry, the best of his flocks to, right? He was the, he was the one, he just brought the Lord kind of the sum of his offering. Where Cain, I'm sorry, Adam bought, sorry, Abel bought the first fruits. He, 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 he knew he was obligated to give the best to the Lord, not just the ulcerans or the whatever. And then Cain was angry. He was angry that he, because God didn't accept it. But rather than deal with that, deal with the lie and correct the lie, he just kind of moved his anger somewhere else. He moved his, he just wanted, he preferred to live the lie and destroy the relationship. Um, another one, um, uh, David and Bathsheba. What a wonderful love story, right? No, it's a horrible story. Um, David and uh, you, you know the story. Trying to sum it up quickly, um, David is um, set, sitting on his rooftop, overlooking Jerusalem, and he see, and, and the men are off to war, and he sees a beautiful woman on another rooftop, and is oh, who's this? And turns out to be um, Bathsheba, and is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Okay, ooh, so when you see, they can, you know, you can see the wheels turning, right? Hittite, he's not really a Jew, so he really doesn't have a right to this this woman. And 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 he, the story goes on. Of course, um, he he brings her over, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, kids around. They don't know if they know how this works. Um, she 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 sends word she's pregnant. He's going okay. I got to cover this up. Um, he didn't say it that way. I'm paraphrasing, right? So he sends for Uriah from the battlefield, brings him back on like a furlough. Uh, says, "Hey, you know, be with your wife." You know, kind of hoping that he would cover it up. She that that they would think people would think that, and, he, and Uriah would think that she got pregnant because of him. No, he's not having anything to do with that. He's a good soldier. He's gonna he's gonna sleep at the at the door to the to, to the to the um, uh, king's residence. He's not he's he. If he's not going to be on the battlefield protecting the king, he's going to be there in Jerusalem protecting the king. He's sold out. So good old David, now the deceit continues, continues. But I'm going to stop here for a second. The deceit began before that. The deceit began with the dishonesty or the lack of integrity. The, the passage, eh, my Bible, let me grab this real quick. Right, pause the tape. Let me grab this here. I'm sorry, this is the fun stuff for me. I hope you don't mind me doing this. Um, I don't know if you got a Bible or not, but I, I'll just pull this up real quick because I think I have this. This is uh, 2 Samuel. And uh, did, you, did you come on? Uh-oh. Okay. I don't have Wi-Fi. Um, it's, it's um, thank you. Can I find your Bible? Yeah, thank you. 2 Samuel 11. Thank you, 2 Samuel 11. I'm going to look at the beginning and, and towards the end of this. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Get it? He should have been integrity as the king. He was a warrior king. He was not to be the one to build Jerusalem, to build the, uh, the glories of the temple and all. He was the one to bring peace to land, and and he was the one called by God to go out and lead his people. He was the warrior king. Nope, he's going to live a life of luxury. He's in the process of multiplying wives for himself, or actually, doesn't. I mean, he is here, uh, eventually going to, um, but 
He was supposed to be on the battlefield. That's where it began. It, his life was a lie. So it's no wonder that he lived a lie. Everything became a lie. He was able, he was, he was willing to lie. So that's kind of the point, is that if our lives are life, our lives are not full of honesty and integrity, as um, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> um, John Murray pointed out, it, it's not just, truth isn't just about telling the truth, it's about living the truth. Integrity, the whole person, who, who, being, being true to who you are supposed to be. Um, but the other thing I wanted to point out in this is when <coughs> David sends Uriah back out, tells Joab his commander, take Uriah out, put him at the front of the battle, and withdraw from him. And so he kind of dies, right? I mean, he kind of gets killed. Well, as devastating as that is, it had other consequences too. And, and it's kind of just kind of swept over sometimes, but 2 Samuel, we were 11, 12... 11, um, okay, verse 16. So it was when Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew that there were valiant men. And, and it goes on, by the way, in the story. What, what actually happens is they didn't need to besiege the city. They were, they were beating these people out in the field. Um, they, it, was, it was folly to go up to the wall of the city when you have a big wall and you have archers on the top and you've got no protection, they did not need to do that. They were, the, the guys of the city, the rest of them were coming out and they were, they were killing them out there. They were, they, were, they were weakening them out there. It was just a matter of time. All they had to do was uh, uh, the, 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 um, just wait them out. There were other ways to win this battle. But he sends, he's got to kill Uriah. He's got it, so he sends them up to the wall with with other men. Here's, that's a, the sad thing about this. It wasn't just him. And he says, Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. There were other deaths as well. There's other relationships that were, were lost, that were killed. I mean, physical death and relation, relational deaths. There, for every death on the battlefield, there's two deaths, right? There's the death of the person that was, that, who that, per, that man was, or woman nowadays was, but it was, it's also the death of the person they were to be, the life they were to have, the family they were to have. It's just lying, just in this case, it had horrible consequences all the way through, and it begins with a lie in character and, and goes on to a lie of deceit in, in, um, uh, to, to, the, to try to lie to the, to the people, to, to Uriah and... and and it's just devastating. So anyway, all that to say, thank you. All that to say, we have to keep in mind that lying and, and death go together because that's who Satan is and, and we cannot be acting like children of Satan. That's why this is so important, I think, for Paul to, to bring this up. Don't lie to each other. Stop it. Put it off. And, and, and give no opportunity to the devil. So, so instead, we are to speak truth with his neighbor. And we've, we've covered some of that. What does truth mean? It's not just saying the right thing, or it's, uh, being, being truthful, saying something you should have said. It's being honest. It's being open. It's, it's, it's not being defensive. It's, it's kind of offensive and defensive. Defensiveness is a form of lying, believe it or not, because you are trying to deflect. Now, I'm not talking about defensiveness when, when you're actually defending yourself against something. Um, 
that you were called to, to speak the truth. No, no, I didn't do that. But if somebody calls you on something, you know you didn't do right, and you say, "Well, give me, I'm giving, I'll give you some excuses of why this was." And you know what that does usually? Nothing. I'm sorry. I mean, as a manager, if some of your managers, you know that, right? At least for me. Okay, when I was a manager, it was like they give me all the defensive things. It's like, yeah, but did you do it? I mean, it, the, the, let, let's try. Let's try and cor correct what you. That's the problem. We we don't correct what we do. We we get defensive. We're saying I don't want to talk about it. Um, you know, no, no, I, I'm not correctable. But we have to be open. We have to be correctable. That's all part of of not having falsehoods. And Paul says something interesting here. He doesn't say don't lie. He says put off falsehood. In 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 current. Uh, Colossians, he says, don't lie, and that's where he's direct. But here, it's that whole idea of just be honest, to be open with one another. So, but we do need to speak. Just real quickly, I want to give some uh, some kind of a helpful outline of, of when to speak the truth. Um, and then on the next page. Uh, so, so who, what we aren't is, is are, we're not we're not non-believers. We're not children of the liar. Who we are, we're believers in Christ. We're children of the truth. And um, what we do, we speak the truth in love. And we put off falsehood and we put on speaking the truth in love. So here's some questions to ask. When you're, are, when you're a lot of times we need to confront people with the truth. They've, they've wronged us, they've done something that was wrong. Uh, maybe it's not personal to us. We, it's one of the things we need to be more open and frank with each other, right? Um, especially. As church leaders, we need to be open and frank. Sometimes we're not honest with each other. I've been in churches where that's just... By the way, it's devastating if... <clears throat> sorry, I'm not drawing... I'm not saying anything about the, the, the past life of this church. Please, I'm, I'm going on my own experiences. But I was in a church that I saw a rift coming. I was assistant pastor, and it took several years. And it was after I left. Um, but it was all... I trace all back to the fact that the elders were not honest with each other. There were hidden agendas. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there were personal agendas. There's always going to be personal agendas in every relationship because we're personal beings and we have agendas. We have priorities. We have focuses. We have scriptures that we read that, that, that energize us and activate us. And that, we, that those are the things we focus on. And those might be the things that are, are driving us. It doesn't mean it's wrong. And that's what happens with the elders a lot of the times. There's certain things that the, with the church should be doing this. And other pastors, pastors are saying, no, the church should be doing this. But the problem is when you're not talking about those things, you're not speaking the truth in love. By the way, that's the, that's the general um, groundwork for this that, that I, I highlighted in bold in your passage. It, it's um, above in verse 15. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Christ. Um, it's 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 in it's everything's to be done in love for the for the love of God for the love of each other, but if elders are are having hidden agendas, if leaders are having hidden agendas, if you're having hidden agendas in your, your relationships with each other, that's devastating. That is lying. We need to have those agendas known. Make it known. Say this is my preference, so we can discuss these things and and then be open. The other part of that is to be open to be, to, to say, uh, maybe I was wrong. Or, or to try to convince the other person, well, right now isn't the right time. But you can't do that if the agendas are hidden. So, it's kind of, so basically, here's some here's five questions that I've learned 
from other people to, to ask. So I'm going to get out of the sun here. Um, first of all, if I'm going to talk about the truth, I'm going to give you the truth. The question is, is this really the truth? Not my truth. Notice Paul says, speak the truth. It's, there's, it's definite. It's an objective truth. Make sure you know that this is a truth from God's Word. How do you know that? How do you know you're not going to fly off the handle with something that's your truth? Well, you've got to get immersed in God's Word. That's, there's no substitute for that. My wife, um, my wife was, was talking to her sister one time. I was over, I love bringing up Walt Shepardisms because some of you know Walt. Um, I, we were young. It was a, I was an intern at Walt's church and at Walt's house one night. And uh, it was after some Bible study and, and people had gone. And, and Walt, and, and, uh, we were still there. Walt comes out of, of his office and and he's just shaking his head, and, and, and he, 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 I said, what? He says, Janice. And I said, what? And I realized Janice isn't there. And he says, Janice is in there talking on the phone to his sister, her sister, and she's counseling her. And he, I said, what's wrong? He says, I hate to tell you, Bob, she's a much better counselor than you and I will ever be. And, and, he, and he pointed out, she is just, she naturally brings scripture into it. He just, she was, and, and she had love for just reading the Bible. She wasn't a great Bible memorizer, but she loved reading the Word. She just immersed herself in the Word. And so when the situations came up, she was able to, to give God's agenda to it. It wasn't her thinking. It wasn't her truth. It was God's truth. And that's the way we're to be with one another. We're already called to counsel one another, God's Word says. And so in our relationships, we're supposed to be encouraging and counseling one another with the truth, God's truth. So is it really the truth? Is it biblical truth or is it my truth? Second of all, does this need to be said? Right? Does it really need to be said? Or, 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 or can love overlook an offense? Is, is it really, did somebody really crush your foot? Or do they just, you know, stub your toe? Is it really something that's going to, you know, metaphorically? Is it something that's really damaging the relationship? Is it something that just irritates you that you can overlook? Because remember, Peter says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. Does it, is it, is it need to be used as a weapon, in other words? Do you really need to hurt someone with it? And that kind of brings up the other thing. Does this need to be said right now? Number three, does it need to be said right now? Or is there a more appropriate time? There's plenty of examples in Christ, Christ's life. He doesn't always speak the truth right away. Sometimes he holds back the truth to a more appropriate time. He's never untruthful. He's never deceitful. That's not in him. But it's, it's enlightening, it's instructive to see how sometimes he'll withhold and just hold back until a more appropriate time. He allows relationships to develop. He doesn't just whack people over the head with the truth, which he could very well. He calls Nicodemus. He, you know, he could have confronted Nicodemus there with the truth. But no, he'd rather go with him and, and have a meal with him and get to know him. The, the Canaanite woman... Um, there's a woman who's, who's calling out for him, and he just says, no, he, doesn't, he just doesn't say anything to her. And his disciples say, wait, 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 why aren't you saying anything to her? This is, I came not for, the, for the, the, uh, I came for the Jews, basically, he was saying, not for, the, for the, the Gentiles. Yet, then he does turn to her, and, and after instructing his disciples, and speaks the truth to her, and, and rejoices with her, and she, or she rejoices in the truth. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't respond to Pilate. Pilate confronts him as to who he is. Doesn't utter a word. It wasn't the time. It wasn't important. 
So often there is a more appropriate time. Sometimes it doesn't need to be said if it's not, it, 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 not to be used for hurtful. Sometimes it doesn't need to be said right now. And that's that passage. Um, I think, actually, three and four go together. I, I realize it should have been should have been those together. Does this need to be dealt with right now? Okay, so um, Ephesians four twenty six: Be angry, do not sin, not let, do not let the sun go down in your anger. That one is kind of misquoted. It, it talks about people talk about relationships and say, okay, you shouldn't be angry with each other when you go to bed. It's not really what it's saying. I mean, yes, that's a good thing. That's a good good thing to have husband's wife. Don't go to bed angry. But there's going to be times you're going to bed and wang, something hits, right? Bam, something hits. And and now you're getting up at 4.30 in the morning or your wife's getting up. My wife has been working some odd hours. She gets up at 4. You think I, she would appreciate if I confronted her at, at 10.30 at night when she has to get up at 4.30 in the morning and something's going to be dragging out for an hour or so? It's far better to let her sleep, have a good day at work, come back and talk about it later. Did really need to be done right then? Do not let the sun go down in your anger is not talking about dealing with the person. That's from, from Psalm chapter 4, and I'm sorry I forgot to look at the time um, when I started. I apologize. So psalm chapter 4, that's by Q, is a psalm, is, a, is an evening psalm. Psalm 24 and 5 were together. Psalm 3 talks about, about, about praying in the morning and praying in the evening. Um, and I think I remember in the evening, uh, Psalm 3 says, in the, in the evening I cry out to you, Lord, in the morning I, I lift my voice or something like that. Um, it, uh, then in Psalm, that's Psalm 3. Psalm 4 is an evening psalm. It follows the, the pattern in Psalm 5. It's a morning psalm. It's a morning prayer. And in there he says, he says to, he's talking to the, the person who, who is angry about injustice in life. He says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your bed and be silent. Offer right, right, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. It's talking about dealing with the Lord first. Don't go to bed angry. Don't go to bed angry before the Lord. Deal with it before the Lord. Don't go to sleep angry. Don't go to sleep with this all this pent up in you. If you can deal with the person, true, yes, but really, that's where it begins, right? Dealing with anger begin, begins with dealing with, with, with it internally and with the Lord. And then finally, um, uh, not only is this really the truth, does it need to be said, does it need to be said right now, do I need to listen to the truth? Am I open? And when I say something to my wife, chances are, if I point something out, chances are she's going to point out something that I did maybe to start that or something I'm not being consistent. It's hard. I, t I, I can't even think of an example of something to point at my wife. She's such a doll. doll. She's such a dear. She doesn't... If, if I, I hate it, this is my, my, my confession to you, Sam, uh, and the rest of you. I misunderstand my wife so much. I'll, I'll see something she's done and, and take it personally and then realize later when, she, when I talked to her about it, she, she didn't mean it personally at all. It was all, all unintentional. She had not a mean bone in her body. But that's what really what happens. I'll, I'll confront with it and she'll, she'll say, well, I didn't do that. Well, instead of in the old days, I would have gotten even madder and try to cover it up and, and still try to make make her the one at fault. I'm learning. Like, no, yeah, I was wrong. You know, sometimes it just comes back to truth. Are you willing to listen to the truth? That's the other thing. Be willing to, to get the truth, but also be willing to listen to the truth. You want to be a different church? 
you want to, you're deciding what to be as a church, um, what you do as a church. I've mentioned one other time, real simple. If you want to be distinct around here in Southern California, be Christ-centered. Honestly, that's huge. Uh, a lot of churches aren't Christ-centered. They're agenda-centered. The second thing is be an open, honest church. Make a commitment that there'll be no hidden agendas in the leadership. Be committed that there'll be no hidden agendas with each other. Be, be open to sharing your sin with your wife or your husband. Don't cover it up. They're, they're, they're given to God as your helpmate to help you to grow in Him. And, and, yeah, if you can't do that, share your, your shortcomings with, with someone else that can help you pray with you show you God's word, the truth of God's word, to, to help put that behavior off and to put the righteous behavior in Christ on and grow into Christ. So that all together, you will be growing together as the body of Christ, knit together into one body and proved to be the body of Christ, Christ himself to the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do pray that we would be a people that... that show Christ to the world through the things we do, not just because we're checking off boxes, because because we truly want to be more and more in the image of Christ. And we earnestly pray this, pray that your spirit be working in us and in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.